Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 1233 in Edmonton. It is Brendan Escott in today for Bob Stoffer on Oilers Now. And we're pleased to be joined with uh, Sportsnet 960s. Peter Labardius. Peter, thank you so much for taking the time here in the off-season. Let me start by asking you this. Are there any sort of clear-cut winners or losers out of free agency? Was there anything that surprised you? Just give me your take. Well, I would would probably start in the surprise category. I'm not sure, even though it made a lot of sense when it all played itself out, I think, for both Alberta teams, I'm not sure a month ago I would have uh, necessarily envisioned Mike Smith in Edmonton and Cam Talbot in Calgary. So I was a little surprised. However, from the day that Dave Tippett was announced and understanding, you know, where Mike Smith's head might have been at in light of him splitting duties with David Riddick last year and being in a situation that potentially would have him in a sharing goaltending role to maybe giving him a better spot and with somebody who he played for for a long time that he has a great trust in. So I didn't necessarily see that coming. As far as winners and losers, I think you could go in a lot of different ways. I think, frankly, whether people would want to hear it or not, I think Kyle Dubas and the Toronto Maple Leafs did a whale of a job to navigate and retool their defense and add a couple of pretty good right-handed defensemen, especially Tyson Berry, and still do it in a way that they cleared a little bit of cap space. And the other team, probably, Brendan, that comes to mind for me is Dallas. I just um, Something isn't right about Joe Pavelski playing anywhere but San Jose. Mm-hmm. I, I understand the direction they've gone in, but I won't say that there will come a day that they'll rue that decision, but Pavelski was such a huge integral piece there. And I know money always plays a massive factor. So for Dallas to get their hands on two quality veterans like Pavelski and Perry, I can't help but think that, you know, they didn't enhance their chances as well. Oh, for sure. And I think the players going there understood that they were on the cusp of being a real competitor in the Western Conference. Now, Nashville, Peter, is obviously a perennial uh, competitor in the Western Conference these days, and and they they ink Matt Duchesne. Uh, They did well to get him in uh, in there. And then I just look at that and think, are they now the clear-cut favorite in the West? Or or if not them, then who? No, not necessarily for me. Uh, You know, again, Nashville is an interesting group. And I will say this, Brendan, how Matt Duchesne plays, how he fits, will play a huge role. I mean, they still gave up a pretty good piece in P.K. Subban. I completely understand with a team that is loaded on defense. And I truly believe, A, they needed another dynamic type forward in their lineup. So, now they have a pretty good one-two punch in Duchesne and Johansson up front with some other pretty good forwards and have a lot of strength on defense. And I truly believe that deal became 
you know, the whole sequence, Subban going to New Jersey, had a lot to do with the emergence of Dante Fabro, and even with how Fabro played for Canada this spring at the World Championships. So when you have an oncoming player like Fabro, and you still have Yossi, who I think is one of the best defensemen in all of hockey, and Ellis and Matthias Ekholm, you know, there was a situation where he was able to clear $9 million, ends up signing Duchesne at a pretty good price, all things considered. But, uh, no, I, I won't go as far as saying that I think Nashville, as a result of that move, is home and cooled. We are chatting right now with Sportsnet 960's Peter Labardius, and obviously Peter is the color analyst for the Flames. I've got to ask you, uh, are they done yet? Is there anything else that might be coming out of the Calgary camp? Because you look at who they signed and outside of Talbot, it's just a lot of depth moves. Um, it is a lot of depth moves. The one thing that's, I wouldn't call it surprising because I think Brendan, the market and money just plays such a huge role in everything that goes on. So hard to make a hockey trade anymore. But I really expected, and still to a certain extent expect, with some of the Flames' quality young people on defense, that there was a real strong possibility that two veterans might find new homes this summer. And that's T.J. Brody, and the other one would be Michael Froelich. And I'm a, I'm a massive Froelich fan, but those are two players that I probably expected might have different homes and there's still a long way to go in the summer but here's what i've come to learn through all my experience about trading and something that fans need to uh i think consider a little bit more guess what we all would like to make trades and even the teams would like to make trades and bring certain people in or move some people out but guess what you need to have in order to make deals you need a partner Mm -hmm. and So sometimes how you value or what you want, you know, those things aren't easy to get done. But I no, I don't think the Flames, I don't think the Flames are done this summer. I really don't. So obviously you would have been well aware of the narrative that there's essentially three players here in Western Canada all making a similar amount of money and all coming off years in which uh, their name was brought up as whether there'd be a fit there uh, moving forward. And that's James Neal in Calgary, Milan mm-hmm. Lucic up here, and of course Louis Erickson in Vancouver. Um, now, I, I'm just curious sort of what the narrative, if any, there has been in the southern part of the province around that trade speculation between those three guys. Well, I know one day I was walking around, and I'm a huge Elliot Friedman fan, as I think most people are, and I think he brought it up partly with just having a little fun with it, but I'm not going to lie to you, I've, I've heard a little talk about even a potential Neil for Lucci swap between the two. Now, do I necessarily really see that happening? No. Uh, I There's no doubt the Oilers would like to move that and move the money off the books. But in James Neal's case, was the first year in Calgary a bit of a disaster for him? Yes. But are you ready necessarily to just completely buy into one year where he'd come off back-to-back Stanley Cup losses and had some injuries? And, uh, you know, let's face it. And the one thing about Edmonton and the market, in most Canadian markets, it's not easy. And it's a big transition, Brendan. And in James Neal's case, so now he's in a Canadian market for the first time. 
And the other thing that people go through, not just players, but people, he had to deal with the fact that, have I lost my way? Have all of a sudden, like, I maybe can't operate at a high level in a game that, frankly, has come pretty easy my whole life, a guy who'd scored at least 20 for his first 10 years in the league? So major change, high expectations, lots of money, didn't seem to fit, didn't start probably in the position with Gaudreau and Monaghan that he was expecting. So it's a year, I think, where James Neal has got to go home and has this summer, I'm sure, and and just tried to wipe it clean. So uh, if I'm Calgary, I'm not making that swap necessarily. And I'd be more prone to give James Neal, you know, another kick at the cat before I move him. Unless somebody out there really wants him and gives me something that's a little different and potentially builds some even younger assets in some other areas. So we're chatting right now with Peter Labardius from Sportsnet 960 down in Calgary. And you already brought it up, but on the topic of trades, what Kyle Dubas has been able to do out there in Toronto, I certainly sit here and, and, and am damn impressed by what I've seen out of him. Give me your Hard thoughts not to on, be. Those, on those deals and what he's done to that franchise to solidify the back end. Well, you know, here, here's the thing with Kyle's scenario. And the Leafs deserve a lot of credit for the fact that they've drafted and you know, have some incredibly young, talented players. Now, when they went out and made the commitment to Austin Matthews, when they did, and did not elect to take care of a player that I think is every bit as important to the Toronto Maple Leafs, that's just my own opinion. I love Mitch Marner. I really, really like Matthews. And, you know, maybe five years from now, if I'm still fortunate enough to be paid to talk about hockey, you know, I'll have a different thought. But I, I truly believe that Marner is in many ways the guy that drives that engine despite the fact that he's a winger. And I don't blame him at all for wanting the same type of money and term as Matthews. And the other thing about this whole scenario is he made a pretty big commitment to Nylander. And when he did that, now you put yourself in a difficult position. However, that's maybe somewhat negative. The positive is to do what he's done in the last couple of weeks and probably now cleared enough money, get a number one pairing defenseman and Barry to go with Riley. I think Cody Cece is a pretty good player. So now you've replaced Nikita Zaitsev's minutes with you know a player that I've always been pretty fond of. Like, how could you say anything but positive things about what Kyle Dubas, under a very difficult circumstance, has been able to do? And he added a real good piece during last season in Jake Muzzin. So, yeah, I, I, I completely applaud him and his efforts. I think he's done a terrific job in a very difficult scenario. And and going the other way, of course, in that deal was Nazem Kadri. Uh, it's it's unfortunate the note that he leaves on, in my opinion, Peter, just having the, the suspension and the, the difficulties yeah. in the playoffs with Boston. But this is a guy who can go to Colorado and, and make them a serious contender again as well, right? Well, listen, in, in this day and age, as we've talked about five or six minutes ago, Brendan, making quality hockey trades with all the monetary aspects, is difficult. 
And there is a big monetary piece because the Leafs even managed to get Colorado to eat part of Barry's salary, and I understand why, because a year from now, you know, Barry's going to get big do-re-mi. There's no doubt about that. But, um, you know, in this case, Colorado, who moved on from Carl Soderberg, that's a hole in their lineup. So they add somebody with grit, uh, a second-line type center who can score, who's hard to play against, and I think has shown some great maturity outside of, listen, you know, he crushed his team in that playoff series. Let's make no bones about it. And that's an area that he continues to need work on. But when Kale McCarr showed what he did, Brandon, in the playoffs, and someone who looks like he has a chance to be a star, well, that gives you a little bit more feel-good opportunity about moving on from Tyson Berry. Now you have McCarr to plug that type of hole. You still have a right-handed defenseman in Eric Johnson to kind of be the leader and solidify everything. You just drafted an outstanding young player in Byram. I really like Gerard. Um, you know, and even Kerfoot going the other way. I think he's a pretty good player, too. Right. And in Callie Rosen, Colorado adds some left-handed defensive depth to go along with Connaughton, who they've been able to pick up since last season. So I think it was a heck of a hockey trade for both teams. I really do. Now, uh, as we're going to wind this down, Peter, but we've gone almost 13 minutes and we haven't talked yeah, at all. Yeah, I know. I do, I do a lot of that. No, One no, of these it, days I'll figure out how to be a little bit more succinct. <laughs> I, I'm loving it, and I'm sure the listeners are too. But the reason I say that is because we haven't talked one minute about the offer sheet. The first offer sheet in, what, six off-seasons here. Uh, what did you make of that? Was that just some gamesmanship by, by Mark Bergervan? Or give me your thoughts. Um, no, I think, you know, Montreal put a lot of thought into it. I think one of the things that they did by doing that is they showed their fan base that, you know, they're pretty serious about going out and trying to make their hockey team better. I am a massive Sebastian Ajo fan. Um, and there is no doubt in my mind that they were going to match. I'm a little surprised that it, you know, got to that point. Now it's going to be a little tenuous because if you're Ajo, you know, you've got some explaining to do. Um, but no, I, I, I'm a little surprised that an offer sheet happened with the RFA climate. I knew there was some opportunity, and who knows, maybe it's not done yet either in that regard. And with Tom Dundon and the way Tom's gone about his business in Carolina, maybe they really thought for a guy who, let's be honest, has kind of run his whole organization on the cheap since he took over, and not just with players, even in other areas, like cutting his radio guy out, the amount of coaches. You know, maybe Montreal really thought that that would be a deal that Carolina wouldn't want to match, but Carolina had no choice, and they did, and they'll be darn glad they did. Yeah, I agree, and I second you, Peter. And just he's an he's an excellent player, and he oh, he's he is he's their player, right? Um, there's if let me ask you this: if there was going to be an offer sheet on either Rantanen or Mitch Marner, we likely would have seen that by now. Is that fair to say? I I think so, but who knows? You know, who knows? It's funny that we spent a lot of time in the interview, Brandon, talking about Colorado, and I, I talked about this on you know our own program, Hockey Central at noon last week. Um, you know, because offer sheets have always seemed to be a little bit taboo, and I get it. 
you know, I'm a big believer in doing good business um, and being a good partner, and you don't want everybody else in the league mad at you. But Colorado was interesting to me as a potential team, and here's what I'll kind of leave you to chew on. So if I'm Colorado thinking about having Nathan McKinnon for the next four years at 6.3, are you kidding? That's like having a guy for free. Mm -hmm. Might be the best player in the league right now, or certainly in the top five, and he's at 6.3 locked in there. So my point was for Colorado, and we know they were hot and heavy and in on Panarin at a high, high ticket. So they have the money. They still have the money. If you add Mitch Marner and pay him, let's say, 12, and you're in a window where do you really, Brendan, see Colorado finishing, you know, being in a position where they draft any better than 20 over the next three or four years? I don't. No, definitely not. So so in the next four years, if you give up four first-round picks, my point is, are you going to get another Mitch Marner in there? You might. You might. It happens. It happens. And the other caveat to that is, if you give up four first-round picks, you better win in the window because then you're going to have some work to do. But Colorado was kind of one team that came to mind for me with Marner, and just because they've done such a good job and have McKinnon at the right price point that that I just saw an opening for them to potentially do it. Great stuff, Peter. We will uh, we'll continue to wait with bated breath until there's some movement on that front. It's really ground down to a halt here, but uh, obviously you haven't as you loaned us some time today, and we are very appreciative of that. Anytime. Always appreciate coming on your show, whether it's you or uh, Mr. Stoffer, who I always enjoy engaging with. Have a great summer. You too. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. That is uh, Peter Labardius, the Flames color analyst on Sportsnet 960 down in Calgary. We'll press pause here on Oilers Now. Back with more of your text messages at 630-630. Brendan Escott with you today on Oilers Now. This is Oscar Plefbaum from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 6.30 Shed. Bob with the day off, so Brendan Escott is hanging out with you this afternoon. Got to remind you, too, that some guests on Oilers Now receive gift certificates to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Follow the sizzle to Alberta's own Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper Avenue, and you better tell Maggie and the staff that Oilers Now sent you as well. Let's get back to the Heartland Ford text line. Great conversation with Peter Labardius. It was interesting getting his perspective and, and uh, you know, somewhat of the Calgary perspective on that proposed Milan Lucic, uh, James Neal, and Louis Erickson, the, the trade triangle, if you will. And I tend to agree with Peter's standpoint on that. I don't know why Calgary would give up on Neal after just one year. And from the standpoint of the Oilers, do you really want Lucic of all people dressing up in Calgary colors and then making the trip up the QE2 here on a Friday night? I I wouldn't want to be an Oiler on that particular occasion. And so I don't know if that's going to actually come to fruition. But, you know, I understand the, the genesis of that and both underperforming players making about the same amount of money at the same age. I get it. Just don't put too much stock into that happening. Uh, Dallas out of Edmonton has asked, why are people calling for a trade of Chris Russell? It seems strange to want to keep a, a younger body. He's tough as nails and doesn't miss many games due to injury, even when leading or close to leading the league in blocked shots. I think 
Russell's contract kind of buries him with the fans in that sense would be my answer to that one, Dallas. Uh, because he does contribute, but he doesn't contribute at $4 million a season. And that's where some of the problems come in, uh, at least in my opinion, from the fan base. Oh, to Slave Lake, I had a couple guys I'd like to see in an Oilers jersey. Ben Hutton and bring back Pat Maroon. Well, Pat Maroon was probably the right price point. However, if you're looking to add speed to this roster, and they are, that's not going to get it done. So it's potential. I mean, I certainly like the emotional aspect that he brings, but I don't know if he's the right fit in a, in a bottom six role here. Uh, so I did ask you, who are you most disappointed that the team missed out on? A lot of response uh, for from Corey Perry, and really, and I don't know uh, the details of this, but you got to figure that's just a situation where he figured Dallas was closer to a Stanley Cup than Edmonton. It's as simple as that. He gets to play down there in the heat, uh, where he spent his entire career as well, of course, on the California coast there. So um, there was other factors. Obviously, the Oilers would have had interest in him, uh, but I don't know if Perry had much interest in playing north of the border. So that's something to consider. Uh, Brian S. says he's disappointed that the Oilers did not get Brett Connolly and ended up having to sign Alex Chason. Not that he hates Chason, but if you're saying staying stagnant, uh, you're not improving the team. Uh, you know, Brett Connolly to this point in his career has never really proven to be worth the kind of money that he got, in my opinion. He is coming off a 20-goal season, but can you bank on that? I'm not super sure. So, uh, yeah, he would have been a nice addition to this team, but at the money that Florida gave him, I don't know if, if many fans would have been pleased to have that. I could be wrong, and you can certainly text your opinion at 630-630. So now to Faller, Alberta. Brendan, would you trade Jesse Pugliarvi, Matt Benning, for Cali Yarncronk and Ely Tolvanen from Nashville. Absolutely, I would do that. I think Benning, uh, you know, he, he was excellent with Sekiro out on the ice in that last season. However, he is expendable based on the depth that they do have. And we know the situation with Pugliarvi. Ely Tolvanen, in some circles, was one of the higher-rated prospects. Uh, he was a late first-round pick by Nashville, but uh, and he didn't put too much together at the NHL last level last year, but neither did Jesse. So if you can get that kind of prospect in return, I think the team would be all over that. Brad from Gold Bar asks, if there's any chance that Tyler Benson will crack the top six and have a regular role... I, the only thing that's my reservation about that is how much hockey he's missed in the last little while. So we saw the the leaps that he made last year with a fully healthy offseason and what he was able to do, basically a point-per-game player for Jay Woodcroft down in Bakersfield. If he earns the spot, I'm cool with that, but you don't gift it to him. And I don't get the impression that with who's running this franchise right now that they're interested in rushing a young player. So perhaps in the 2020-2021 season, we see Benson up in a top six role, but he certainly right now has a chance to to earn it. Uh, one last one here. What are my thoughts on Ryan Dezingle for a third line center or maybe using him on the wing? I like him here, but don't overpay. That's what I have to say to that. 1258 in Edmonton, we're going to go into uh, some of the younger ranks of hockey. We're going to talk to Craig Stiles, who's the chairman of the Brick Invitational Tournament. It's going on right now at West Edmonton Mall. That coming after a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.